Hi, Larry. Hello, Serge. How are you? Good, good. Good. So we're going to have this conversation. Our intention is uh, uh, as two self-interpreting animals. Right. Yeah, that, uh, that phrase has been uh, a very important one in certain sectors of the philosophical world. Uh, Charles Taylor was famous for an article he published called uh, Self-Interpreting Animals. And the idea is that our understanding of who we are and where we fit in the universe determines in, in an important way how we actually live our lives. So we become, in a certain sense, what, whatever we understand ourselves to be in, this, in the world. And the reason it's so important, I think, today is that in, in contemporary uh, secular societies in particular, the, the view that predominates is one in which the physical is what's ultimately real. Everything starts with the physical and we have a story about it. There's a big bang. And then uh, that was 14 billion years ago. And then 4 billion years ago, something happened and life appeared. And what you get from that story, if you take that story to heart, that tells you that, well, there's this physical universe out there that really isn't about me. I don't necessarily belong in that because I just happened accidentally. And so that's a path to lack of meaning, in my view. And a lot of secular societies are, are plagued with that kind of ethos. Yeah. That, uh, you know, you, you, you look at uh, plays on Broadway and, and I, I just feel that there's a nihilistic underpinning to our culture. If you, and I think part of it goes back to that understanding that, hey, you know, there's no real reason we're here. We don't really fit in the cosmos in any meaningful way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, that's great as you you state it this way because um, it illustrates the the focus. And your focus is that uh, if we have a self conception as you know arriving here out of randomness, um, then and if everything is physical, then there is a crisis of meaning. Uh, that we have essentially no meaning to hang on to. And, and um, is that, am I, am I hearing you correctly? I think that's well put. Yeah. 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 And so um, the issue that maybe we're exploring is the point of view that maybe it is, and maybe there is a need for some kind of a, um, a source of meaning, but the other might be that even though we may be random, we may we do our owe our existence to random factors. Even though much of life is determined by physical phenomena, uh, it is still quite possible to experience meaning in a very powerful way. Yeah, uh, well, but the way to get there, I think, at least the way I'm pursuing, is to challenge that view. Okay, because I think that, uh, especially in today's troubled world, we need uh, more mindfulness. 
We need the practice of, of mindfulness to get to, to authentic meaning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, and in order to promote those practices, I feel we need to point to the limitations of that view. And, and I love the, the concept you came up with uh, in our previous discussion, which was humility. Because I was, I came out and said, I don't think we're an accident. And you didn't want to abide by claims like that. You, you wanted to do, uh, have some humility about our, our possibilities for knowledge. Right? Am I? Am I yeah, am I no, no, you have here? it totally. You have yeah. it totally. Uh, and and the, uh, I think in a, in a, in a way that um, uh, the human condition is one in which we're capable of having a grasp of the transcendent, but we also have enormous limitations. And uh, that sense of dancing on the high wire between a grasp of something that's really so much bigger and uh, also that knowledge of the, uh, uh, you know, our, our, our limitations, our humility, um, is, is where my sense of it that the meaning, the meaning can happen uh, is a moment-by-moment -moment experience of life yeah. as meaningful, that, the, the, that meaning is an experience as opposed to a transcendent quality. Yeah, yeah, I like, I, I like that way of putting it in. But uh, I feel that it is necessary too to, to point out the limitations of that other view, the view that well, let, doesn't even open to that. And, Let's let's talk about these yeah. limitations. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because I don't think it's well recognized that, for instance, if you look at the uh, the Big Bang theory, that is a highly speculative uh, project there, and it's not recognized as such. And part of the reason is that these are physicists who just look at physical phenomena, but yet they're trying to explain a whole universe which includes us, which are not. I mean, we have some physical attributes. But to say that we are ultimately physical down to the to bottom is is an extraordinarily uh, speculative enterprise, and and what they do in in coming up with these results is they start with a mathematical model. They do it all by mathematics, they, and they look and see what their models produce relative to the actual data they have, which is quite limited. We're talking about cosmic phenomena, explaining the whole cosmos. That's what uh, we're trying to, they're trying to do here, okay? And so they take a, a famous mathematical model, uh, Einstein's uh, general theory of relativity, but then they use it for a purpose it wasn't intended for, okay? This was uh, intended to look at things like uh, solving the problem of gravitation. What is gravitation? How does it relate to space and time and things of that order? But what these physicists do then is come up with a set of equations that's consistent with that, that general theory, but then they extrapolate backwards to produce this idea that there was what's called a singularity. In other words, there was nothing 14 billion years ago. This is literally what they do. Yeah, so uh, um, you could say that calling something a singularity is finding a nice word for something that's unexplainable. 
and so that the explanation in a way uh, is very limited because uh, at the bottom of it, you know, at the base of it, there is this unknown and then there is a lot of mathematical stuff over it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And these guys, it's, it's really comical, I think, because they believe in mathematics as what's ultimately real. If you come up with a mathematical model there, it's possible to have one that really truly reflects what the universe is. And that's known in philosophy as idealism. Mm -hmm. You believe mm -hmm. there's some ideal realm that is, is what's ultimately real. These guys are physicists. They're the exact opposite of, of, of idealists. They're supposed to be studying the physical world, but yet they, in fact, believe mathematics is the path. Yeah, and, yeah. And what they miss, too, is uh, Eugene Jenlin's uh, philosophy, for instance, where he... Uh, talks about this implicit dimension, okay, that we are fully in part of the universe. We are body environmental creatures. He has this idea of the body uh, interacting with the environment as being fundamental to who we are, and we are not limited to the skin, okay? So, and what he does is he says there's a vast implicit dimension where he can show how mathematics comes about. He can show how language has come about. It's unbelievable what he does in this book, uh, Process Model. But what he does is he starts with this deep, implicit intricacy, which cannot be mathematically modeled. And it is much more of the reality that we're in. We are, the physicists are in this reality. Uh, we're in this reality. And mathematics can never, mathematical modeling can never scratch the surface of that intricate reality. So there are things like that. And of course, uh, Martin Heidegger is an important philosopher too along these lines, who was really important for people uh, in uh, ecological movements going back maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago. So he, he anticipated a lot of the problems we're having today. But so there's just so much that these people are missing. Yeah, yeah. So what you're talking about is that um, reducing everything to mathematical models essentially misses out what is uh, the essential quality of life and the universe. Um, and um, uh, so I am not going to argue, you know, that mathematical models are an accurate representation of reality. Um, I'm not, you know, a scientist, I'm not a mathematician, I'm not a physicist, an astronomer. So essentially, um, what I go by is accepted knowledge that is transmitted by the culture I'm in. And so I absorb those things as in so many different ways, like the earth is, you know, is, is, a, is, a, glo is a globe or... Um, and the area where I have a curiosity is the interface between that accepted knowledge and how it, you know, jives with my experience. Does it help me experience things a little better in, in a way that's more satisfying, that goes deeper, or does it hamper me? Um, you know, I cannot vouch for the theory, but I can see how the theory works for me in life. And what I like about the idea of randomness uh, is that essentially um, 
it creates a, a sense of what it's like to be human as navigating in a sea of uncertainty, you know, as opposed to a model where some creator uh, created us for a purpose and the meaning and purpose is already out there and we follow it. So that model of uncertainty works for me because it helps me make sense of the anxiety about confronting uncertainty moment by moment and say moment by moment experience of anxiety is in the same continuum as general uncertainty about meaning and purpose of life, you know, and, um, you know, coming without some kind of a predetermined reason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like, I, you know, it's hard to argue with what you're uh, presenting, but the project I'm on here. Yeah, is to no, yeah, try yeah, to yeah, no, but so, so alternatives. Great. Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah. So maybe I'm, I, I'm, I'm inviting you to articulate, yeah. you know, how your perspective informs your outlook on the world. Yeah, well, uh, the idea being that, uh, again, going back to the idea of self interpreting animals. Mm -hmm. So, our understanding of ourselves matters. And if we understand ourselves in the way the physicists want us to understand ourselves, then uh, we can just go and uh, destroy the planet. Doesn't really matter that much. We can just use things up as much as we want until it maybe threatens our lives. And then suddenly we, uh, we react. But we have to put forward another understanding, I think, in order to gain uh, currency in order to be credible, because I think not only do we have our own experience, our own spiritual paths to take, but today it's a public issue. We need to, uh, to promote mindfulness techniques. We need to get the educators to promote these techniques in order to uh, come together to deal with our, our, our planetary crisis. So I think it's reached that point. I mean, it's great. I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm on, I've been on a spiritual path myself for most of my life, and I fully understand uh, the perspective you're taking. But I think it's reached a point now where I think we're the best hope to try to get humanity uh, together. Yeah. What I'm hearing is that unless we are in touch with what matters, which is essentially a sense of why we're here for, what we're, um, then the randomness um, brings a sense of it doesn't matter what we do. And it goes together with continuing the ecological catastrophe. Well, that's, I wish I had said it like that. <laughs> I think that's, uh very well put that, like I say, it totally makes sense for those of us on a, on a spiritual path already. I see that. And we just want to be fully present. I mean, I, I really enjoyed our previous, uh, uh, another previous encounter we had where you, you had a session on presence at the Focusing Institute. And, uh, and I love the way you started by saying there are people that sometimes make it sound like they've got this presence problem under control and I can be more present. Uh, and it's not much of an issue, but 
my experience has been it's virtually impossible to sustain any kind of acute presence, acute mindfulness, acute attention over any kind of lengthy period. And of course, it helps to be with others, of course, when you, but when you're alone. And, and so you brought that right up. You said, hey, look, I don't have that problem solved. And I, I, am, I bring you my humility in the face of this problem we're talking about. Okay, so, so uh, but I, I, again, I feel that we have another duty here. And that is as people who are starting from the right place, we're, we're here. We're, you know, the idea, this speculative enterprise that the physicists give us and say that we accidentally were brought about because of physical machinations, it's just crazy talk. I mean, and they basically rule out our experience. Our experience doesn't matter. It has to be mathematically modeled or it has to be something that's observed from afar. And that's the only way you really know anything. So they just basically throw away our experience. Okay. And we can't abide by that. So, so essentially that the whole body of scientific mathematical description of the world uh, rules out our experience. It really does. I mean, uh, now I want, I want to say that, first of all, I have a background in, in economics and mathematics. And uh, there's uh, a lot of that was borrowed from physics. And I, I, work, I was a practitioner in economics for a number of years. And I'm a huge admirer of what physics does when it's, and it's limited to its right application. If, if there are models that predict, then that, that tells you something. Okay, that's powerful. Okay, and if we have amazing technological innovation due to uh, the understanding uh, of some of these models that have been produced in physics. But you can't, you can't predict a big bang, for instance. Okay, this is a one-time event, okay? So it's totally different. So that, that has to be recognized, okay? That uh, the limitations, the, the humility they need to have in the face of a problem like this. So, but like I say, I, I think that our duty is to, to try to promote these, uh, to put people on a more spiritual path so mm -hmm. people can listen to one another deeply as we do in, in, in the practice of focusing and other mindfulness techniques. And, and our best hope, again, again is this, this uh, rush, I feel, that uh, mindfulness is becoming more and more important. So I want to try and say what you, you're saying in a different way. Uh, to see if there is a, a convergence, you know, something that, um, so it may not be what you're saying. So, so please correct me. Okay. But what I'm hearing is that, um, you know, mathematical models, economic models are great uh, in the sense of um, predicting within a narrow, rel relatively narrow range, yeah. uh, predicting what might happen. But if we only take them into consideration, then we actually ourselves discount the benefits of our subjective experience. And uh, our subjective experience is essentially the felt sense of being alive and essentially the felt sense of mattering. So if I discount my subjective experience, then I don't really matter anymore. Uh, and so it's not about talking about subjective experience as being, quote, unquote, true, 
versus mathematical model and to say, oh, no, the, the earth is not, the earth is flat because I see it as flat or any of the, but it is about saying, if you're not paying attention to your inner experience and your felt sense experience, then basically uh, you become a zombie. That's right. That's, that's right. And, uh, and the, the idea too is by getting into the educational system, people are going to be more prone to experiment with uh, coming to a felt sense. Okay. That's ruled out based now. Matter of fact, I, I've been talking to a, a therapy student who attended a focusing workshop and she said, I'm amazed to see this. Why don't I see this in my curriculum? And, and, and part of the reason is because you have this dominant scientific culture that doesn't allow for uh, explorations like this that are called for in coming to a felt sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, so now uh, I want to go a little further uh, because what I'm curious about is going toward the convergence, toward the similarities, okay? And I'm noticing that where we might clash a little bit uh, you know, is when we go in terms of, um, is it possible to have meaning just um, with the randomness of creation, the randomness of our existence? And, and so it's kind of a large abstract question. But if, you know, I understand your premise differently, and to say, if I as an individual, or we as a society, uh, only allow as true um, scientific or mathematical descriptions of the world, then we lose contact with our subjective experience. And we essentially lose our soul, not, a not in a religious way, but in losing what it is that makes us human and makes us function. So in a way we have shifted the ground from being something that is, uh, you know, the theories and whether or not, you know, there is indeed uh, randomness or, you know, some kind of a underlying meaning to our existence. Uh, from that general question, we're now shifting to how we function moment by moment. And to say, as human beings, we are not fully functioning if we're not in touch with our felt sense experience. Yeah, and uh, I would just add that this is, again, one of the uh, points of demarcation between this, what I would call standard view that's out there, and the more spiritual view, the hermeneutical view. And that is, they talk in terms of events. The notion of an event is, is significant in uh, the, the philosophical circles I'm, I'm bringing in here. And meaning that when I open up to a felt sense, when I feel a space opening, we talk about holding space. Those are real events in the cosmos. That's the argument that has to be made because otherwise they are discounted. The, the idea of space is simply whatever physics tells us is, is uh, spaces, whereas there is a large literature on this other, this other side, this other uh, philosophical position on place, on the locality in which we live, the actual process of living our lives and the experiences we have there are truly events in the cosmos to the extent that we are gathered, to the extent that we are more present. The more present we are, the more real they are, the more they count. 
So, so again, um, I'm I'm using different language, but to try and see if we're uh, there's a convergence here. But so, what I'm hearing you say is it's not about negating the um, mathematical or scientific, you know, explanation of the world, but it's about being conscious that there is a more, and that um, we actually can very easily create some kind of a, a blinder where we only see a small part of the world and we miss out on things that cannot be measured, that cannot be experienced by, by through mathematical theory or, or scientific theory. And you're talking about the realm of subjective experience, anything that is the implicit, which has an enormous importance for us as living human beings, for societies in general, uh, and that simply cannot be apprehended by scientific tools. And let me bring in, if I can here, because I, I completely uh, I love what, the way you're putting it, but my focus is on the ph phenomenon of attention itself. Okay. And in my work, I try to argue that attention cannot be explained by these, these uh, scientific or distance observation techniques. Okay. And... Uh, what matters is how acutely attentive we are, how present we are in subjective experience, because um, ordinarily attention is dispersed and it's difficult to gather. That's the point you were making in the presence conference you had. It's not easy to do. But what happens is, and, and Martin Buber has a wonderful uh, quotation uh, that I they often cite, but it's our response. He puts it in terms of the, the divine, but... Uh, when you turn to God, you, you make the space you're in sacred. And the, the point is that when we gather ourselves, something happens. We're ordinarily dispersed, so the magic doesn't appear. And that's why some people are so interested in mindfulness now. Yeah. Because something magical happens. I want to uh, invite you to repeat that phrase. It's a beautiful phrase by Martin Buber. Uh, do you want to repeat it? Well, I wish I gave it to you exactly. No, but, but he, he who turns with the full force of his being, that's closer. Because this is an effort of the whole human being. And Jelen right. is about this too. He talks in his a process model, he talks about an effort to uh, feel the whole situation. He's about integration. And so is Martin Buber, and so are so many other figures. So when, when we turn with the full force of our being, our whole being, because that's what it's called for. We're talking about the divine here. Right. So you, we are, in order to approach the divine, we, it must be a total effort of our being. We, it, we can't leave anything on the table. And that, of course, is what mindfulness is about, to be as fully present as we can be. And yeah, when we do that, we, not... we, rescue, we rescue the environment or our place from the, uh, I forget, I, it's been a while since I looked at this, but the oblivion or whatever it is, the, it's a fallen state. And we rescue it from that, and we bring the divine back into the uh, into the uh, into the world. That's one way. Yeah, no, but so there's a. I want to 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 say it's a very rich statement, and I want to to uh, make explicit some of the strands that occurred to me as I listened to it. Okay. It feels very very rich, and so there is a sense of phenomenology of doing something in order to make something happen. So uh, the experience of the divine comes about 
from engaging in a certain way with it. It doesn't come about without nothing. So uh, that, that sense of you in order to, it's not something, say, for instance, you go to a store and you see an apple, you know, on the cart, but uh, the apple or the, the experience of the divine is something that starts appearing, that starts existing as you engage with the world in a certain way. And you can. I mean, that's what we hope for. We, and we're, and it's a non-effort effort. I mean, that's the important yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, Uber, yeah. Uber says this beautifully too. But, but an effort. Yeah, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. But but so very different from say, uh, you know, phenomena that exist in and of themselves and that are passively observed. You know what you're talking about is an engagement of the total yeah. person. So uh, and that's a, a difference from being scattered. So a sense of uh, engaging and orienting with the whole self. So yeah. gathering ourselves. Feeling that there's something important to interact with. And that gathering plus the interaction is what we call the experience of the divine. Well, uh, that is the prolegomena, or that's the condition for the possibility of yeah. that experience. So it's an opening that may not be fulfilled. No, I wouldn't may- call that the divine. It's just, but that's what the spiritual labor is, I believe. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it may not be fulfilled. It's necessary, yeah. but not sufficient. Yeah, right, yeah, right. So, um, but so, but what it is, is it's not something that exists and is passively observable. All right. You know, and so uh, the criticism that say, in a way, what we're talking about is there's so much that we don't see. Uh, and unless we engage in a certain way with the world, then we simply won't see it. So in that sense, you're talking about something that's a little bit like Pascal's, you know, uh, wager that, uh, you know, you don't know that it's there, but you won't see it unless you engage with it. That's right. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah. But you have nothing to lose, basically. That's yeah. Pascal's wager is that why not? Because otherwise uh, there's no there's no God, there's no meaning, there's no anything. Right, right. And so we're Why talking. Not, right? I, I've called this the religious or the experiential hypothesis, the religious hypothesis, and that's what Eastern philosophy to me has been. There's a path to mm-hmm. enlightenment. They call it. I mean, yeah, yeah, and that path is based on having trust, faith in engaging in certain experiences. Yeah, and that's what the education process has to be. We have to teach people there's something out there that's possible for us to to experience, and uh, and 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 again, my my uh, my project has been well. First of all, I have to say the emperor has no clothes. The story you hear is a is a false story. There's no there's no basis for it. It's not based on any kind of scientific methodology that could be replicated. That's the power of science, but it's not there. So how, why would you possibly believe that these people know what the whole uh, the uh, whole origin of the universe is? It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ability, please, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But so it's interesting because, in some way, um, you know, it's 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 illustrating where um, you know I feel like we're we're there's a, a lot of convergence, and maybe where the divergence is is you say oh. Um, you know, their explanation is 
limited and there is um, there is a hubris in their presenting it as a total explanation. And what I'm saying is, you know, their explanation is limited because they're doing, you know, it's a different part of, of it's a different aspect of reality. But I, I'm not considering that their explanation is all encompassing. I take it for what it is, and I turn my attention elsewhere for what that explanation does not account for. Yeah, but but that's you. You're you're already on a spiritual path. I'm talking about the vast uh, population out there that doesn't know about this and just takes in the, that view as part of the common sense. You can ask people. I mean, ask people. I, I, it's very common for people to just to believe that stuff. So they're not open to it. And we are in desperate times right now. That's why I feel it's so important to try to get the word out that there are techniques like focusing that work. There are techniques like mindfulness. And, and, and that's the hope is it is becoming so important. But people are not really asking the question, why, why does mindfulness work? That question doesn't, isn't asked. What does that say about us human beings? that mindfulness works and what what is going on here and why is it important or is it important yeah so so what does it say about us human beings that mindfulness works it means that we're real and we have a potential role to play in the cosmos by bringing by opening by holding open and the, the paradox here is that we fully gather ourselves so we're all of our what we bring to bear is brought uh, to bear in opening to what's other. That's an interesting thing that uh, when you think of opening, usually you think of emptiness, but we have to be fully present. And, and that means all of our implicit intricacy, if you talk about the way Jim says, it is all brought to bear, focaling is the way he, he calls it, in opening up and that space which is a real space. And that opening is an event and we experience it. So Serge, you and I and, and other practitioners, we experience this opening as a real bodily thing. And we need to communicate that to others to get them to not be led by the, the horrific politics and the horrific misinformation that's out there. People need to be grounded in their bodies to be able to withstand the lies that are out there that if we if these people get back in power they're climate change is just a a, a a fiction to these people okay you saw what the trump years were that's what's yeah. at stake here and i feel that this this these disciplines of mindfulness offer us the ability to to create what the philosophers always assume. They always assume there's this transcendental ego and that we're, everybody's rational. Okay, well, well, the sad fact is we're not rational because we're not gathered. We don't do what's in our own best interest because we're dispersed. Our attention gets taken by the manipulation of the politicians and the media. And, and that's what we need to be able to withstand. And that's through the practice of mindfulness. I feel that that's how we can be grounded and how we can resist and do what's right for humanity as a whole. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm just taking a moment to, to, um, to take it in. And, uh, and I, I hear, and I'm, where I'm totally with you, is the idea that um, we need 
to be conscious that we are real and that uh, it helps to know that there are some experiences that can give us that felt experience of being real and that the felt experience of being real is something that enables us to do the difficult things that are required in order to face the crisis we're living with and to overcome the manipulation and, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, a power struggle. Okay, so I'm with you there. Um, where I am not necessarily with you is the notion that in order to be real, um, we need to have come here without an accident. You know, to me, um, even if, um, you know, we are something that emerged out of random phenomena, and if we're, you know, consciousness is emerging from matter in some way that I cannot articulate, um, it does not mean we're not real. I can have, and I think the beauty of the experience of mindfulness is that it enables you and me to have a similar experience, regardless the, um, you know, the underpinnings of the world that we see. On a logical way, you could say both of us are at odds in terms of understanding how we came about. But by focusing on the experience as opposed to the theory, we find a very solid commonplace that's very real. And we can find that place um, to validate each other's experience and to have common ground for action in the world. Yeah, I, I, uh, but how do we communicate that to uh, the rest of the world? That's really. So my, my, my sense of it, you know, story, I think, but to, to, uh, you know, to follow again, Jen Lin's idea of the prime primacy of experience uh, to focus on the experience, because when we talk about the theory of, you know, the underlying theory saying, say, well, it's all random or say, you know, there's something preexisting. We get lost into something that is difficult to argue about and that in effect uh, veers away, you know, we, we postpone going into experience. Yeah. We'll get to experience once we're in agreement about the theory. Okay. And so we make it more remote, but if we try to connect on experiences, you know, say you and I find experiences that are very similar and we can, we can agree on that. But say even somebody who does not have the experience of felt sense experience, we could say, hey, I have some very neat experiences that I want to share with you. Uh, and, and, you know, here's how you can access them. And then when this person has that experience, if you, oh, you know, there's a sense of reality that comes, a felt reality, you know. And, and so uh, we can, my, my hope you know, that I'm articulating during this discussion is we can communicate through experiences more powerfully than through theory. And how do we get people to the table to begin uh, to have those conversations? I think by, by um, uh, sharing the experiences we have, you know, 
uh, isn't it amazing? This feels really nice to have that. And it's not just nice in the sense of, oh, this is like uh, an acid trip and you see some colorful stuff and you have weird things. But these are experiences that are very beautiful, but also very, very practical, very useful in terms of orienting you know, our personal lives and orienting the way we conduct business. And, you know, so essentially we, uh, we communicate how useful those experiences are. We say there's more to the world than you might know. There's more to the world than, you know, hey, great, you know, all these scientific experiences are, you know, something, but, you know, there's a whole part of experience that they don't take into account. And we want to invite you to uh, to share them and see for yourself where that leads you. But the quality of any conversation along those lines depends on how well people listen yeah. to each other. Yeah. So how so we have to how do we communicate that that the importance and the the practice. So we have uh, focusing groups and we have other groups I've seen outside of the focusing institute where they're using the same idea of holding space. Your duty is to hold space for others, uh, just listen deeply and, and let them speak. So how, how do we communicate? Cause that's been my project. My project is attention. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, ha- and because uh, you, you start off by saying that uh, we could, people that just emerged out of randomness could still be real. Yeah. But I, I want to make the argument, though, that there are degrees of reality. I think that's been sort of a subtext here for me. That, and, and the idea of when we gather ourselves, that's when the divine may open for us. But we can be more or less real. If we're scattered in our lives, it's true that uh, we exist in a certain way. But when, the more present we are, the more real. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. that's sort of – and so how – so the question is, how do we, we have to get that across. That's because that's the idea underlying. We're not going to have good conversations. People are going to share experience. Well, I was at the, I was at the mall. I did the, I mean, how do we get a quality of experience? So and, I want, I want, to, presence I want to how suggest, we get quality. I want to suggest that this would be a great uh, follow-up on this conversation and invite you to, to continue on that, that, um, you know, essentially that where we are today uh, is noticing the convergence at the level of experience, you know, that can be exist despite, you know, the underpinnings being different. And, uh, you know, the question you raise, which is very good, you know, wonderful is to say, well, how do we actually invite people in, in a meaningful way, in a way that they follow? Absolutely. I'd be delighted to continue this uh... This is part of the Active Pause podcast. To see more and subscribe to the newsletter, go to activepause.com.